and 32. Luke 5, 31 and 32. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's good to be together again. I know as I look out over the crowd, it seems like, well, 15 minutes ago, it seemed like we were, we were lacking some as far as, far as normal attendance goes. However, it's, it's kind of, we've, we've filled up a little bit. However, uh, we still are missing many. Uh, some are out traveling, some are out sick. Uh, it's the time of year that sickness goes around, and it's the time of year where everyone's out visiting family and friends and other individuals, and we want to keep uh, each person in our prayers. I would also encourage you to, to look around to see those that are visiting with us. Make sure you give them a hearty welcome and make sure you look around also and see those who aren't here. And I'd encourage everyone to, to pick up a phone after services and, and make sure they know that they're missed. It is always a great opportunity to come together. It's a, it's a great privilege that God gives us when he granted us for the first day of the week as a time to come together to worship. It's a great honor that God looked at us, that, that God made such a plan so that we could come together to worship Him. Today, for the short time that we have, I would like to look at that of the perfect church. And I'm not saying the perfect church in the sense, go out and look around for uh, which congregation best suits you, but rather I'm talking about the perfect church being the one that Christ instituted, the one that Christ established, the one that Christ designed and the one that Christ set out to build when he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church. Today, as we look at the perfect church, though, <clears throat> we will notice that it was built by Christ, but in opposition to that, talking about that of the, the perfect church, we're going to talk about the imperfect side. And as you talk about the perfect church, it's perfect by design because of number one, its maker. It's perfect by the, the fact that Christ designed it, by the fact that Christ died for it, by the fact that Christ established it. But the church is imperfect by the fact that it has people. Somewhere along the line, people came into the, to the mix, and the problem is people mess it up. Once upon a time when, uh, while I was in, in preaching school, one of the instructors was teaching us, and he said... Everyone's going to desire to, when they leave here, go to be a part of the perfect church, the perfect congregation. You want to go somewhere where everything is just perfect and honky-dory. He said, well, if you find that perfect congregation, that perfect place, he said, don't go there because you'll mess it up. The fact of life is, the church is perfect. But the other fact of life is, when you put people together, when you get a group of people together, there's an imperfectness that comes into play. However, we can get past it. However, as different individuals, as different beings that make up the one body, we actually looked at that a little bit last week, uh, last Sunday night in the sermon uh, last week. As we have the different members of the body, we can still be one. We can be united in the same goal. Today, as we look at the perfect church, we'll notice first that it was built by Christ. It's per perfect because... 
Christ is the creator. Christ, the divine being. Christ with the foreordained plan. The plan before the earth was ever established. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. We have the plan for the church. The plan for mankind to be saved through what Christ would build. As we look at the church, we'll notice that, the Christ, that Christ built his church on the solid fact that he was the Christ. In fact, we mentioned Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. If you go back a couple verses, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, you can look there and we see that, that Peter is talking. And he's asked the question, who, uh, by Christ, who is he? And, and Peter makes the confession or makes the, the statement, the rock, as it's referred to in verse 18, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then later Jesus will say, Upon this rock, upon that foundation, upon that point, he would build his church. Christ built the church on the solid fact that he was the Christ. Everything was built around the the fact that Christ the Messiah came into the world for fulfilling that of the prophecies of old. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about. And based off of that fact, he said, I will build my church. Then at the very end of that verse, he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Meaning mankind can be saved through his church, through the church that Jesus established. Number one, Jesus' church, the church, is a perfect church because Christ established it. The, The church is the perfect church because there was only one church that Christ did establish. And then finally, that last point there made in verse Verse 18 was that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it because we can be saved through the church that Christ established, that Christ built. The church, the perfect church, is the perfect church because it was purchased at a great cost. It was purchased at the price of Christ's blood. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, at the end of the verse, it says, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. We have the blood of Christ was the payment that was paid to purchase this church. Once again, the perfect church because it took the perfect blood of Christ. The perfect church because it was the perfect Christ that established it. And the perfect church because mankind could be saved through it. Within the perfect church, Christ, the head. Christ is established as the supreme being, the one to whom we all look. If you look in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, we can see there where it says, And hath put all things under his feet, and hath given him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus Christ, the head, the the supreme being. Again, you can look later uh, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. At the end of verse, it says that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is the supreme being, the one to whom glory is due, the one that is the, the greatest part of the church at all when we looked last week at a few a few different verses we noticed that it's christ makes up the head christ being the head of the church we being the body filling in the pieces we as the body work together to make up the body of the church to make up the body of christ so we have the perfect being as the head the perfect being is the establisher and the perfect being as the foundation you can look at acts chapter 4 and verse 11, where you notice that that, uh, that rock, a stone is mentioned, has become the chief cornerstone in verse 11. And then it goes on to say in verse 12, neither is, there fa- neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There is no other name 
which, which mankind can look to to find salvation. Looking in that of the perfect church, we have the perfect church because within it is salvation. Because within it we have the head being Christ. Because within the perfect church we have Christ the establisher and within it man can avoid that of hell, that of being eternally lost. The church, number one, is perfect because Christ established it, because Christ was the builder. And that brings us to the second point. It was planned for people. People make up the membership. People make up the body. When I titled, when I titled the sermon originally, I, I titled it The Perfect Church for Imperfect People. Now, if you look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the purpose of being a Christian is so that you can be perfect because through the Word of God, we can be perfect. We can be, we can be washed, we can be cleansed, we can be sanctified, we can be set apart to do the will of God. And we would be, in a sense, we are perfect in that we have our sins forgiven. We are perfect in that we are living for God. But yet, today... As individual people making up the body, we're imperfect in the sense that once in a while we still mess up. The church is perfect all the way up to the point where people start to be a part of it. Because we have different, we have different feelings, we have different, different mindsets. It just makes sense within, within human nature that different people are going to gravitate to one another. It just makes sense that you're going to have people that you have something in common with, something that's special to you. And you're going to have that thing that you talk about, that, that different conversation with separate people, with different people. However, today as we look at the perfect plan of Christ, I want to say that if you study that of Christ, Christ went out on a limb... Christ went out on a limb to make sure everyone was comfortable, to make sure that others could be a part of the church. If you look at the life of Christ, Christ didn't just dwell with those that it made sense, those that he would have had the most, most things in common with. He didn't just dwell with construction workers uh, having his father being the carpenter. Christ didn't just dwell with those in the, in the synagogues or just dwell with those that were in the temple. Christ made the rounds, and we'll see as we look at that of Christ, he had a desire to reach out to all those. He had a desire to make the uncomfortable comfortable. He had a desire to teach those that were outside of maybe his comfort zone. If you look at Christ's plan, it was to help those in need. A few moments ago, uh, Wes McGee did a wonderful job reading our, uh, our scripture. If you notice in Luke chapter 5 and verse 31 and 32... Jesus speaking there says, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. So if you look back in the context, actually, people are getting on to Jesus. What are you doing talking to all these crazy people? Why would you want to reach out to others? Why would you want to be with sinners? And then he says, he says later on in verse 32, But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now notice if you, you notice there would be the Pharisees talking and obviously within the study of the Pharisees, the people that would have been the, I guess considered the upright. They were, they were known, everybody looked at them and they were, let's say, better than you. Uh, they were striving to live according to God's plan. 
but yet they look down on everyone else. If you look at that, within that, of the, the, that conversation with the Pharisees, Jesus is reaching out to the others, to those outside of maybe the, the most holy, outside of the most religious group. And then he says, a physician is for those that are sick. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Within Christ's plan, within the perfect plan, within the plan of the church, it looked out to sinners. It looked out to those that were messed up, that had their life not going like it was supposed to. I believe sometimes it's very easy to fall into a comfort zone where we have individuals that just seem to be a lot like us. Maybe it's a lot easier to talk to someone because they're just like me. Well, they live in the, the similar house that I do. They drive the the same old high mileage car that I do. They drive the, they do the, the, the same vacation trips that I do. We have all these different things that make up who we are and that makes it, makes it easier maybe for us to associate. But when you look at Christ's plan, he, reached, he, he was reaching out to those that were different. He was reaching out to those as we go on. Uh, you can notice in James chapter 2, we actually studied it this morning in our our class because I didn't think we'd have time to read through it tonight. If you look in James 2, the point is that they were elevating those who are rich and they were putting down those who were poor. There's a, there's a special seat for the person that comes in and, and seems to be the, the most upright, the most righteous, the most holy, the most dressed. And then there was a lower seat and they put someone other, they put somewhere else off to the side because they didn't have quite so much. Within the, the church, the perfect church, the plan was everybody's on an equal playing field. The plan was that everybody could come together and enjoy the time together because everybody's the same. The facts are, every person needed the blood of Christ. When Christ said he came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, it just co goes along to show that those that were sinners, which as you look throughout the word of God, understanding that we have, we have people that are lost because of sin, without Christ, mankind is all lost. Mankind messes up and does things wrong and therefore we deserve the penalty of death. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. If you look at the church, Jesus, while he was, while he was here upon this earth, while he's establishing his church, while he is, uh, he is preparing for his death. Jesus spent time with people that didn't fit the mold. You can look in Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, a similar, similar situation. I'd say it actually coincides with that of Luke chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, the Pharisees saw it. They said unto disciples, Why eateth your master with the publicans and sinners? What is he doing with them? He ought to be eating with us righteous people. But if you look at that of Christ, where did he go? He went to the publicans and the sinners. He went to the others. He went out to the rest of the world and he spends time with those that maybe didn't quite fit the group that the Pharisees were expecting him to, to be a part of. So if you look at Jesus, he, reached, he was reaching out to those that were publicans and sinners. If you look later in John chapter 4, John chapter 4 we know is the, is the example of the Samaritan woman. As he meets the Samaritan woman at the, the well, she explains to Jesus, hey, in verse 9, <laughs> you don't talk to me. It's not, that doesn't, 
That doesn't fit our normal society. In John chapter 4, verse 9, he said, Jesus, the, the woman said, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest of me, a Samaritan? Why? Because Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. So here, when you see Jesus talking, he's going to teach. This is a time where he took to teach. Later, his disciples will come back, and he'll teach them about it too. And then you can skip down all the way to chapter 4, verse 20, and you see he's asked to stay with the Samaritans. And he tarries with them two days. Jesus is there with them two days. Jesus had a desire not only to help the Jews, but Jesus here reaches out to the Samaritans. Jesus here helps the Samaritans who the Jews don't have any dealings with. They don't, <laughs> they don't work together. This is, this is a different group. Those are the ones that live out, outside of our community. So Jesus was reaching out to the sinners. Jesus was reaching out to the publicans. Jesus was reaching out to the Samaritans who the Jews didn't deal with. So if you look at that of Christ, so far he's already reaching outside of his comfort zone. You can think back to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we have that of Zacchaeus. I'm sure everyone remembers the, the story of Zacchaeus. If not, you probably remember the song where Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. As you think about the story of Zacchaeus, you have this man that was a tax collector. And boy, it's a lot like the IRS today. No offense, Danny Moss. Uh, it's a, as, he, as he worked with taxes. You hate it when the tax people call. You hate it when you get a call and they say, uh, we want to check out your finances. I know there have been, been many people that have had the, the IRS check into them, whether or not they were doing anything wrong or not. They still get the desire to ruin your life for a few months and you have to go through all the paperwork to satisfy. Well, that's, that's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the man that ruined lives because he came around to collect money. And as it goes, within that of the tax collectors, a lot of them were very dirty in the way that they, they did business. They're very dirty in the way that they charged to these individuals. So now we have Jesus, and who's he reach out to? This time it's a rich person, it's not a poor person, but yet it would be the person that was hated. For some reason today in our society, there's, there's a sense that, that the police officer, those that are out to, to help us, those that are out to protect us, uh, as you watch the news, it seems as though there is a deep hatred that's going around for those of the police force, those that are sworn to protect us, those that are, are trying to promote peace. Jesus was trying to, to help those that people didn't like. Jesus tried to help the publicans. Jesus tried to help the sinners. Jesus tried to help the Samaritans. Jesus tried to help the rich people. Jesus tried to help the poor people. And if you look in John chapter 8, a famous story about the woman caught in adultery, adultery Jesus, even in, that, even in that instance, at the end of the story, he says, Neither do I condemn thee. And she said, go thy, he tells her, go thy way and sin no more. So Jesus reaches out to all different groups of people. Remember back to Luke chapter 5, where the sick has no need for a physician. I mean, the sick is the one that needs a physician. Those, those that are well don't. 
He says, he came for sinners. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinners, those that needed help. You can see all these different groups of people, and Jesus was here to help. I believe Jesus reached outside of his comfort zone in reaching to help other individuals. As members or as bodies of what, as, as part of the body of what is the perfect church because Christ established it, as individuals, we need to be the ones that are reaching out. We need to be the ones that go out of our comfort zone to encourage someone else. We have to be the ones that help other individuals. We have to be the ones that encourage those that don't fit our mold. For the last point, I'd like to look at that of those who they shared the gospel with. They shared the gospel with all. We see that Christ was reaching outside of his comfort zone to, to teach all these different people. And now as we look at that of the gospel, it was shared with all. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, the Apostle Paul there is ready to, to reach out. He's ready to go out into the whole world. In verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In fact, there, that, that the end of the verse where it says the Jew first and also to the Greek is that part of that of fulfilling prophecy that it would start right there with the Jews. It would start in Jerusalem. The gospel was for all, and then it was spread to those outside of the Jewish comfort zone. Because it wasn't just for the Jews only, although some of them thought it was. And if you, as you go through reading of the New Testament, you'll understand that they were up in arms because how in the world are these, are these Greeks or how are these, these Gentiles now part, be able to be part of Christ's church? How are they able to be part of God's chosen people? Once upon a time, the Jews knew that they were the chosen people and everyone else was just out of luck. They were, they were part of the, the promise that we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. But the problem is that they didn't understand when it said, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Because it was supposed to reach out beyond that of the Jewish group. It was supposed to, be, to reach out beyond that of the particular family that they had. That promise made in Genesis chapter 12 was that it would go out and all nations, the entire world, would be blessed because of the Christ. All nations would be blessed because through his seed line would come the Messiah. And through that we see forgiveness to all those, even those outside of the Jewish, the Jewish religion or the Jewish, the Jewish family as they had their family ties. Now today, that's a great thing because I know as I go back through my genealogy, it doesn't go very far and I definitely can't link it back to that of being part of Christ's family. I can't, can't link it back to, to being one of the children of Abraham. So because of that, I'm, I'm indeed thankful because if it didn't reach out beyond that of the Jews, how could we, how could we have hope? If you look in Isaiah chapter 2, I'll go ahead and read this. In Isaiah chapter 2, we see the prophecy of that of how the gospel would be 
executed, how the church would go forth. In Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There is a plan that it would start out right there. It would start within that of, of Jerusalem, and then it would be spread into the, unto the entire world. It, it went out from there. You can look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is uh, the example of the Great Commission in the book of Luke. It's where, where Jesus sent them out. In Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and verse 47, it says, And said unto them, Jesus here, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, now notice, beginning at Jerusalem. Starting out, once again, starting out there within, within the Jews, starting out there at Jerusalem, but yet then it could go to the entire world. We see the starts. We see the original beginnings, but yet God's plan was that the whole world could be saved through Christ. Within, within that of the perfect church is the hope for all mankind. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 23, a well-known well verse where it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you look there in the context of Romans chapter 3, the whole point is Jews and Gentiles are both lost because of sin. Because of sin for the Jews, because of the sins for the Gentiles, it says all have sinned, Jews and Gentiles, and fallen short of the glory of God. That means they need Christ. That means they need hope. Because as you look in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Within that of the perfect church, the one that Christ established, there's hope. There's hope for mankind that is poor. There's hope for mankind that is rich. There's hope for all mankind. There's hope for this family, for the Jews. There's hope for that family, for the Gentiles. There's hope for every person, no matter where they are, no matter what they do, no matter what they enjoy. If you look at, look at the book of Romans, you can see that there were people who were once caught up in sin. and he was, They were told that, such as were some of you, you were involved in this, but yet there is hope for you. There's hope for murderers. There's hope for adulterers. There's a hope for liars. No matter what sin might be prevalent in the individual's life, there's hope for drunkards. There's hope for, there's hope for homosexuals. There's hope for all mankind because Christ made a plan that they could put him first. Christ made a plan that they could follow after him. I don't know what it is that would be the group that's maybe the hardest to reach out to. But I think when you look at the example of Christ, Christ tried to reach out to those that, that were the hardest to reach out to. In fact, the Samaritan woman says, hey, we, we don't have dealings, meaning you don't want to talk to me. Within that of the perfect church, let's try and reach out to those that are outside our comfort zone. 
Reach out to the person that doesn't fit your mold, that doesn't fit maybe the, the, the raising that you grew up with, the family that you were used to. They don't have maybe the same, the same ideas. Maybe they, they raise their children a little bit differently, but yet we can still, we can all work together for the good of the whole. Within the example of Christ and his perfect church, Christ reached out to all. I believe as a body, as the many members, as individuals, as people, we've got to work together because as the many members, we make up the church. Christ's plan was as the many members, we can work together for the good of the whole so that we can spread the gospel to the world. Looking at that of what Paul said in Romans as he started, as he was beginning the book, he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. His desire was that all people could be touched by the power of God. When I say that they were touched, I mean that they studied it and they were like those on Acts chapter 2 that said that it's recorded that they were pricked in their hearts. Because they understood they were wrong, because they understood that Jesus was the Christ, they said, I need to do what's right. And that's what we need to do. We need to follow that example. We need to be touched. We need to be pricked in our hearts. We need to understand that Jesus died for me. We need to understand that Jesus Christ was the one that was crucified, which is what he's pointing out to them in Acts chapter 2. It's what pricked their hearts. It's when they said, wow, I've messed up. I put Jesus Christ on the cross and he was an innocent man. But the story doesn't end there because there's still hope. Remember what Christ said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was you, that was me that put him there. But Christ's Christ words right then are the same that they are for us today. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God wants us to come to him, to come to Christ. That's why Paul went out teaching that gospel that he said he wasn't ashamed of. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we want to help you. It's very simple. Understanding that Jesus is the Christ, you need to come to a point where you're ready to make a change. You're ready to give your life to Christ. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, it says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. There is a, a design within the perfect church that mankind turns away from that which is wrong and they give their life to Christ. That's why he says, such as were some of you. Because they changed. We need to be willing to confess the name of Christ and the promise is that Christ will confess us before his Father which is in, his, which is in heaven. We can see in Acts chapter 8 where they make the the Ethiopian eunuch made the great confession when he said, I believe that, thou art th that, that Jesus is the Christ. And they stopped the chariot and he was baptized. And we need to be willing to do just what he did. We need to stop the chariot. We need to stop right now. We need to have our sins washed away. As they're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized so that they could have the remission of sins. The Lord's promises that he'll add you to the church. If you aren't a member of the perfect church, you need to be. You need to do what Christ said. You need to follow Christ's plan because Christ's church is the perfect church. It's the one that he died for. It's the one he established for us. So we must follow him. If we can help you, if you would be willing to give your life to Christ, we want to help you with that. We want to help you make that decision. Please come as we stand and sing.